You know, where I come from, when you say good morning, good morning. morning. There we go. Let me welcome all of our online viewers, and of course, you all here this morning who are in person. Today um, is a little bit different. We've been going through the the New Testament books of 1st and 2nd Timothy. We're in 2nd Timothy right now. We're going to take a one-week break, and today we'll be celebrating the biblical ideals behind Martin Luther King Jr. Day and Right to Life Sunday. What I want to do is um, I want to start by by telling you a a brief story that I hope gives us an overview and and a foundation for these topics. Um, Horton, here's a who. Now, full disclosure, it's not their favorite book. Their favorite book was There There is a Wocket in My Pocket. Anyone know that book? Yeah, it's actually kind of scary, but yeah, walk it in my pocket. But they loved Horton Hears a Who. Maybe you've read it to your kids or your grandkids, or you just need a little encouragement and you've read it to yourself, right? It is one of Dr. Seuss's most popular children, children's books, and it has a famous tagline. Can we say it all together? Are you ready? Here we go. A person's a person, how small. And if you don't know the story, um, it's about Horton the elephant who hears a scream coming from a BB-sized dust ball. And on that small speck, tiny who's are housed in their city of Whoville. And when Horton the elephant agrees to protect the who's from um, a deadly fate, a mama kangaroo tells everybody um, that she knows that Horton is crazy. She says, don't listen to him. He's out of his mind. And poor Horton is ridiculed and he's mocked, but, but Horton stands by his promise to protect his new friends, the Who's, by explaining to everyone that, and I quote, even though you can't see them or hear them at all, a person's a person, no matter how small. And so simple is this message that a person's a person no matter how small, we teach it to our toddlers to teach them that everyone is created the same no matter what they look like or where they live or whether or not they resemble us or not. But you say, well, wait a second, Lee. We're we're sitting in church this morning. Uh, I want a sermon. And I get it. You probably expected a sermon rather than Dr. Seuss. And that's okay because this simple message really is a truth that's found throughout the word of God. And that truth is this, a person's a person no matter how small they are or what the color of their skin is. Turn with me, if you please, to Genesis chapter one, the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible tells of God speaking the earth, the land, the plants, the animals into existence. And then he comes to the end of his creation, so to speak, and he breathes into life his masterpiece. And he tells us why it's his masterpiece. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Man, I I can't get enough sunsets. I'll walk Lake Fayetteville and I'll just hug a tree, right? Oh. And I'm a California guy, I grew up on the ocean, so to speak, and I, man, to hear the ocean, and I, we're, in San Diego, there's actually cliffs down there, a lot more than up the coast, and just stand on the cliffs and look at the sunset and hear the, I'm a, what, 
but God didn't create the sunset, the, the cliffs, or the ocean in his image. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, created them male and female, he created them. That God miraculously created men and women in his image and we are therefore blessed by him is awe-inspiring. But, but I wanna be sure we catch the enormous weight of this phrase. In his image, the very DNA of God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit courses through your veins and mine. So, because we are made in the image of God, those in the womb, those outside of the womb, rich, poor, black, white, Brown, because we are made in the image of God, let us make a declaration right now. On this sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we affirm from God's word and along with thousands of other churches that every human being from conception on is an image bearer of God stamped with divine dignity and worthy of protection. And tomorrow, we recognize the incredible impact that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. had in our country and still has in establishing the dignity of every person regardless of skin color. So this time I wanna bring up Chad Holmes and he'll address the right to life portion of our talk and then he's gonna share with us a story through a very powerful video and then I will come back up and we'll talk more about God's heart for all people. Let me first uh, address, there's probably a lot of emotions in this room. Uh, maybe you're, you're nervous. Maybe you're nervous for me. Um, maybe, maybe you feel really passionate. Maybe you feel angry. Uh, some of you may feel deep shame or, or sorrow. The beauty is that our emotions may differ in this room, but we all worship the same God. And our God is eager to meet each of us in whatever emotion we're feeling this morning. He is a good God. He is a healing God. He is a present God. He loves us and we can trust his truth. And so we're gonna turn to his truth together this morning and see why we at New Heights believe in the right to life for the unborn. The Bible speaks multiple times and in multiple ways about the life that is formed in the mother's womb how this life is specifically being made in the image of God, as Lee just said, and how this life that's in the womb is a separate life from the life of the mother. Here's a few passages from the Bible. Psalm 139, arguably the most well-known passage about the right to life. David says, for you created me, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. 
a powerful declaration of how God is at work before the birth even happens. God speaking to the prophet Jeremiah in chapter one, verse five says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He's giving a calling and a destiny before the birth happens. In the same vein, Job 31, 15, speaking about his own servants, Job says, did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one, God himself, form both of us within our mothers? Again, Psalm twenty-two, ten: from birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. The prophet Isaiah says this, listen to me, you islands, hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He has spoken my name. And last, I love this one, Mary, pregnant with our savior, Jesus, going to visit her relative Elizabeth, pregnant with John the Baptist. It says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So here you have two pregnant women meeting each other and their babies in the womb are interacting with each other their own personalities, their own life existing within the womb. You see, an unborn, an unborn baby's right to life is about something so much bigger than what culture tells us. Culture tells us it's about political ideology or that it's about personal preference or even personal interpretation. But according to God's word, an unborn baby's right to life is about honoring our God, Yahweh himself, forming a child in his image through its mother. It's about God and it's about his people. With that biblical framework in mind, today is the first Sanctity of Human Life Sunday since the historic overturning of Roe v. Wade. And while on one hand, we as believers can rejoice in the freedom for states to make abortion illegal, we also know that this allows other states to make abortion even more accessible than it was before. And yes, we can rejoice that surgical abortions are now illegal in Arkansas, but it is important to know that medical abortions are still readily accessible as we'll soon see. And so it may appear that we have made progress in our policies, but this does not mean that we as the church get to kick up our feet and relax. We of all people should know that law doesn't prevent sin. Isn't that the whole story of the Old Testament? Isn't that the reason why Jesus had to come and rescue us? Law doesn't prevent sin love does. Law doesn't change hearts. Love changes hearts. So church, this is our moment. This is our moment as the church to step up. All the more we need to be a church of love, not fluffy love, but love that carries truth, love that hates evil, love that is patient, love that is willing to get messy with others, love that is persistent, and most of all, love that is tangible. We are to love those before they find out they're pregnant. After they find out they're pregnant, after they choose to keep the child, after they have the child, or even after they choose to abort the child. We are to love people at every stage along this journey. We do so by opening up our homes, fostering and adopting, opening up our wallets, 
to put our money where our mouth is, building bridges in our community, modeling mercy and grace, practicing presence with people, proclaiming truth, walking in step with the Holy Spirit, and most of all, praying to our God that his kingdom will come. It's this kind of love, church, even above the law, that will do the most good, that will help the most mothers and fathers, and what we all want, that will save the most babies. It's our love, God's love through us. And while we have many ways to grow in love at New Heights, I am proud to share a powerful story highlighting the impact of our collective love. You're about to see a video of a young man in our church. I love dearly, his name is Blake. And you might know him as Pumpkin Bread Blake uh, because he bakes some pumpkin bread for the college ministry and it's quite possibly the best baked good on the planet. I'm pretty confident of that. Um, He's also become known to some as the baby whisperer for his ability to calm any crying baby almost instantly. And Blake has graciously chosen to share his story with us this morning. It's a story of a father's grave mistake and also a story of a heavenly father's great mercy. As we approach this video, let it be a reminder to each of us that one, sin creeps at all of our doors. Abortion, even a non-traditional medical abortion, as you'll see, it could be the option that the person sitting behind you in church is considering. And two, let this be a powerful reminder of the redemption of God in each of our lives. How God can use a healthy church to surround broken people and bring life from the darkest places. Let's watch. I grew up here in, in Greenland, just a little bit south of Fayetteville. I went to a church there all my life. Um, it, it was really great growing up in Greenland my whole life. It's a small town next to a big city. It was just, just a wonderful experience. It was later in, in high school for me, um, it was my first ever relationship, and she never really got a lot of support from home or from her family. And so it was, at the beginning, it was really great. It was, it was really a good experience. It was healthy for us both uh, in the beginning. Eventually, I, I moved off to college and the relationship became a long distance relationship. I was attending a, a Christian university in Oklahoma and honestly, my relationship with God felt very forced. And when I came home to visit, it was usually only once a month. And so we, we made what we thought was the most of our time together and we started getting physical. I was on one of my visits back home and we were driving in the car and she told me that she was a few weeks late on her period and that's, that's how I found out. There was a lot of fear because hearing her voice when she was telling me that, there was a lot of fear in her voice, a lot of worry, a lot of concern. You know, what would her family think? What would her friends think? What would people at school think? And the instinct for a man who, who loves his woman is, how can I fix this? And so I, I was full of fear and worry for her. And the first thing that popped in our minds was, well, we can do a, an early term abortion. At, at this early stage, there are um, drugs you can get at drug stores that will force the next cycle and it will abort the baby. And so that's what we went with because it was unobtrusive, no one had to know.
This was the woman that I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with, and we had talked about talked about our future together many times. And then, just out of the blue, I get a text message, a very long text text message, saying that she's breaking off our relationship and never heard from her again. I fell into a really, really, really deep depression and spiraled down very, very quickly. Uh, I attempted suicide multiple times um, unsuccessfully. And uh, a blessing through that all was that I was an RA at the time. And being an RA, I had responsibilities for all of the guys in my dorm room. And in hindsight, that was a really big blessing from God because even though I didn't care about myself, even though I didn't care if I lived or died, I didn't care how my academics went, if I passed or failed my classes, there were all these freshman guys who were counting on me to be their RA and to take care of them. And that really pushed me through that moment. And that's, that's when God really started to plant the seed of, of being a servant in my heart. So I was so blessed to find new heights. Um, there was a lot of healing that God gave me through serving others. You know, I, I highly recommend if, if you're ever feeling down or out, one of the best things you can ever do is find a place where you can serve other people. And so one Sunday I heard there was an announcement where they were needing children's ministry volunteers. They were needing some extra help. And I was really hesitant at first, knowing my past and everything that happened, as well as having to get up on stage and sing to kids and, and teach kids. I, I was a little bit nervous, but I was encouraged and I went through with it. And the very next week after the background check and after the trainings, I started children's ministry. And going into children's ministry, God really used that for me. He, there was a lot of healing in seeing the joy in the children's eyes as they got to do the activities, a lot of healing in holding babies in early childhood. I think the first time that I really felt God's forgiveness was in early childhood when I got to hold, hold babies. It was really profound because if you think about it, looking back at my story, God was orchestrating everything in the background. And of, in all the sea of people in his kingdom, he saw a depressed, suicidal guy in the very back. And he said, I want you. I know what you did. I know that you aborted your child. But I'm gonna entrust in you all of these children in my kingdom. And that's just really profound. And there's a lot of healing in knowing that God still trusts me and still loves me, and that I'm still worthy to hold babies in early childhood. ourselves is not when this is a baby, when is it alive? We need to ask ourselves, when is God stitching this child together in the womb? And the only answer that Christians can give is from conception. But the, the enemy puts in our hands the, these, these options and these tools to just get rid of that life so early on where we, we, don't, we don't think about it that way. 
So one of the main reasons we went through with the abortion was fear. You know, I was, I, she was afraid and I was afraid. I was afraid, you know, what would my church think? What would my family think? What would my friends think? And what I really envision in the church is that we'd be so loving and so, so kind to people because we're all sinners. If we all laid out all of the sins that we've committed in front of each other, I think we'd all be surprised what everyone has done. But God forgives us of those sins. And I want the church to do the same. It's mercy and it's grace. If the burden of your own past is weighing on you and maybe you feel like a thousand pounds right now, please know that this morning is about healing and redemption for you. It's about God looking at you the same way that he did Blake, saying, I'm not done with you yet. I know what you did, but I'm the master at bringing life where there is none. So rise up and let's bring life to this broken earth together. As Blake said, it's about mercy and it's about grace. And to us all, may I also just say, well done, New Heights. We are all a part of Blake's redemption story and may there be many more redemption stories to come and may many babies' lives be saved because of our dedication to love God passionately and love people tangibly. So let's get tangible. If you or someone you know has been rattled by an abortion or an unplanned pregnancy, or maybe you wanna help those who have, here are some resources for you. And now I suggest that you have your your pens ready or maybe your cameras ready because I'm gonna go through multiple resources pretty quickly. And you can also find these on the Bible app if you want to. First is the Rachel ministry. This ministry provides spiritual and emotional support for those after an abortion. There are group studies with leaders that have walked through their own abortions. And they wanna help others experience the freedom in Christ that they themselves have experienced. You can contact Loving Choices and they will get you plugged in with the Rachel ministry. Next is Loving Choices itself. It's an incredible faith-based pregnancy center that offers many services at no cost, at no cost to women with unplanned pregnancies, including ultrasounds, counseling, and parenting education. And they have baby bottles in the back of the gym. Everyone back there in that direction, there's a whole table of baby bottles. And as a way to be tangibly supporting loving choices, I want there to be no baby bottles left after today. So what you can do is you can go grab a baby bottle, fill it with loose change or chunks of cash, and then bring it back to church next week. And we're gonna collect all of that and donate it to loving choices choices. So please take a baby bottle that's in the back of the room. Let's put our money where our mouth is and support loving choices today. You can also contact them with the information above me. Next, we have the Joshua Center, the counseling agency that we're tied with. This provides affordable counseling services for people struggling with depression, anxiety, relationship difficulties, and much more. You can contact the Joshua Center to get plugged into counseling there. We also have Celebrate Recovery. Angela, who did the welcome, her and her husband run Celebrate Recovery. It's a Christ-centered 12-step program that provides help for those of us that are dealing with life's hurts, habits, and hangups. You can contact Angela above. What about post-birth help? How do we help after the child has been born? Well, uh, there's an agency called The Call. 
They're in a foster and adoptive agency, a Christian foster and adoptive agency here in Arkansas that helps equip the Christian community to provide a hope and a future to local children. There are many families at New Heights that have been involved with the call, an incredible organization. I highly encourage you to get connected with them if you want to help. And then last, we have our very own ministry called Belong, uh, run by Hannah and Matt Olson. And it's a ministry of New Heights that offers support and community to families who are already involved in the foster or adoptive care. Uh, and so if you want to help support those families, contact Hannah above and she'll get you plugged in. These are all ministries that we prayerfully and financially support with the hopes of honoring every life made in the image of God. So church, let's continue loving God passionately and loving people tangibly as we seek justice and life for the unborn. Lord, have mercy on us. May your kingdom come and your will be done here in Northwest Arkansas as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name, amen. Lee's gonna now address racial justice. Thank you, Chad. Um, I know it was awkward because it was so somber, but let's give Blake a hand. How, How powerful was that? How powerful was that? Unbelievably transparent. Um, Man, I'm just so grateful for people like that in our body. Well, um, I want to transition to a second biblical issue uh, this morning that God cares deeply about, and that is his children coming together as one to, to love him and to love each other in a way that demonstrates his love and his biblical justice. And so what I've, I want to do this morning is, I'm, I'm really excited about this, I've asked our very own Dr. James Hawkins to uh, come on up. James, make your way up so I can ask him some questions uh, about facilitating better conversations um, concerning racial racial reconciliation in the church and the culture we we live in. Dr. Hawkins is a part-time New Heights staff member. You'll see him teach from time to time. He'll be teaching here in just the next couple of months. He consults with us, but most of his time is spent as a counselor and clinical coordinator at the Joshua Center. He's also training therapists both here and around the world, and he consults both churches and businesses around the topic of race. I believe he and his wife, correct me if I'm wrong, James, um, Nicola, have a podcast as well. Mm, that's been in hibernation. Okay, phase for okay, the all right. Um, um, but but he's also, uh, by the way, uh, the uh, the the dad, the father of five amazing daughters. And I know, hard to believe, um, he has time to do anything. So we're very grateful that James has taken time to be with us this morning. Now, before I ask Dr. Hawkins some questions, let me explain how we came to know each other. Um, the first time we ever met was at Mermaids. Do you remember? Every meeting with Lee is around a good meal. Around a good so, meal, yeah. yes. Yeah. You do remember. Yes, I do. It was seven years ago, um, but before that meeting, and I've shared this story before, but I want to share it again. I met with a gentleman in our church. He still goes to our church. He loves our church. And this gentleman took me out to lunch at Tacos for Life, and we talked and we talked and we talked, and finally he looked at me and he said, Lee, I love New Heights. I love that we're not afraid of any issue and that we biblically address all the issues, but there's one issue that we don't talk a lot about, and that's racial reconciliation. And I kind of gulped, and I thought to myself, I feel like we do things, but you're right. It's not a conversation that we've had on a regular basis. So he said, Lee, I'm not here to judge you or shame you, or I love New Heights, but um, let me encourage you to meet somebody who I think can help you with this. There's this gentleman named James Hawkins. Would you be willing to meet with him? I said, sure, we met. Um, Our conversation was amazing, to say the least. And um, 
I said, James, could you come be a part of our, of our, of our staff, come to a staff meeting, let's start the dialogue, I wanna introduce you to Jim. One thing led to another, we eventually hired him on staff part-time, and um, not only that, but he has been just a, an incredible friend and mentor to me in this conversation. And so, um, also, they've made New Heights their church home seven years ago, and I'm grateful for that. Thanks, Lee. Appreciate you all. Appreciate yeah. You. Thank, you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to be the one asking all the questions, but James said to me... Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Can I, I want to stop the interview for a moment. Okay, though. all right. Is that all right? Yes. I know, unnatural, right? But, you know, typically when we have these conversations, we can call a person of color up, someone that has a different perspective, which is great, right? Yep. Particularly when you're in majority-type churches, we can very easily... I remember one time when I was going to school and when the professor stood up at the front and she said, how many of my minorities feel invisible on this campus? And it was very, the point is, is even when we say small, sometimes when you represent a small group, mm -hmm. your perspective can easily shrink. But what I've loved about, you know, talking to you and Jim and the elders is, is many times the church doesn't get to see how you struggle with it, mm -hmm. how you care in your heart. So I want to give a chance. Can I ask you the first question? Yes. All right. Yes. I know, right? He couldn't say no in front of yeah. you all right now. So if any way. Now, I, I may pull a hamstring. I've got a sore throat. I may not be able to answer. Oh. <laughs> right, <laughs> some type of latency of COVID or something. Yes, like that. Um, yes. But no, seriously though, Lee, what's the journey been like for you? Um, thank you for asking. And uh, it, it has been interesting to say the least. Um, I think we always have in our minds as followers of Jesus that we're, we think we're kind of doing everything right. And then God introduces someone or something else into our life. Maybe it's a moment, maybe it's a person. Maybe it's scripture, Holy Spirit enlightens. Maybe it's, it's a conference or a book. And so for me, I always thought of, I've always thought of myself as someone unbelievably passionate about John 17. If you hang around me at all, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture. As a matter of fact, I love the upper room discourse. Uh, John chapters 13 through 17, Jesus brings his disciples together shortly before he goes to the cross and he gives them sort of last words. And he basically said, this is what the church should look like after I leave. And so uh, one of my favorite passages is John 17, because Jesus says, basically he says this, um, your unity should be so profound, like, like me and the Father, like me and Daddy, that unbelievers want to come into the kingdom. And I'm like, man, that struck a chord with me that, that spirit-filled unity amongst believers could lead people to Jesus. And so let me, I'm gonna do this. I wanna read this passage because I think it frames um, some of the things we're gonna talk about this morning. Uh, Jesus said this, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that um, the world may believe that you have sent me. And so for years, for me personally, when I, I thought of this message, I only thought in terms of the church, and, and I'm confessing here, this is, this is my story. Mm. I only thought in, in terms of the church I was in at the time. And, and again, primarily white churches. And so um, I didn't think in terms of an unbelieving world actually seeing racial injustice in the evangelical church. I thought only in terms of a disunified body, right? Believers who just can't get along. And that's part of it. That's part of the interpretation here. 
But now, as I've searched the scriptures and I've been on this journey with you and I've heard others and we've dialogued, um, I think how strange and sad it is for unbelievers to see only segregated white churches or black churches or brown churches. That too is a lack of unity in, in the body of Christ. Thus, um, this journey and this conversation has personally given me more um, of a passion to see a multicultural church, um, not just in heaven, but like right now. I mean, just like right now. I mean, I pray for it. I, I envision it. We're seeing some of that here in our, our body now. Um, but that's my heart's desire. I get it. Every tongue, tribe, nation, one day. But I want Acts 15 Antioch Church different nations, different people, different skin color. And, and, and please hear, hear me when I say this. Um, I know it's not easy. It's complicated and it's nuanced, um, but still I yearn for more diversity in the church and yet I know I can't force it. Even as I say this right now, some of you, you're, you're tensing up, you're nervous, I, I can't force it. But here's what I can do. This is my journey. I can teach about it. I can pray about it, and I can posture our people to be ready for it, to pray about it, and to want it. Okay, that's enough of me. No more me, all you. You ready? All right. Um, let let's me do ask it. you the questions now. So, James, here it is six years later. How is New Heights doing with living out John 17 when it comes to race? Well, um, I think part of my heart, because, you know, I'll say this, I think New Heights is doing pretty well in some ways, and then there's areas where we still struggle at times. But I wanna make sure the congregation, there's so many things that we do, and Angela talked about, could you even get, like, Angela had to run through all that, because New Heights is a busy and moving busy, church. She's the perfect church. person to do the announcements this morning, by the yes, way. Yes, yes. Um, but I'll say this, so when I say doing well, here's the, t here's the tangible things you don't always get to see. The conversations between me and Andrew Lynch as the worship leader, where for years, Andrew has been in prayer saying, God, you send the right people and the person to help come alongside me. Because what Andrew is trying to push for is, I want to give our people an opportunity to experience the multiple ways that God expresses and seeks worship from people from all different backgrounds. And New Heights, you respond well when I introduce little things in the sermon and in songs. And that helps make us more... Um, I think it enriches our worship. Even think about, even if you don't agree with all of them, that's part of the thing about Maverick City that has drawn people in. They're bringing this diverse cultural group of people and saying, let's create something that honors our God, not separate, but together. So I love that. I think I love, and I think, I don't know if you all catch what Jim and the other teachers do on Sunday morning. You are now expositing the scripture, still going through it, but you're talking about the cultural elements as it's already there in the scripture. How many times can we make the mistake in Western society thinking that Jesus was taught, was living here in Northwest Arkansas and interpret it that way? He was not. And so in the scripture, it talks about all the different groups. And Jesus himself was a reconciler in God's order. He came first to reach the Jewish people, but he said, I am going to bring all people together. And you see that in John 4. You see it in the life of Paul. People don't understand. Paul's whole ministry was not only about reconciliation to God, but people groups. Romans is a document where he's dealing with the Jew and the Gentile who are fighting. And he's talking about all the cultural elements that makes them different. But he says, let me make sure you understand 
What counts most is the circumcision of your heart and your commitment to God. Don't none of you get ultra superior about who you are on this earth culturally because God can humble you. So I love that you and Jim have been doing that, making, calling that out. But I love this too, Lee, and I got to say this. I am so glad that you and Jim from this pulpit and the other teachers have not tried to make this a political church. You have not made us a wing of the Democratic Party or of the Republican Party, and you have called us out as a church to search and scrutinize both of them through a biblical lens, pushing us towards God's ethos. And you've not only done that with race, you've done that socioeconomically, you've done that with the age, you've also done that around gender as well. So I really appreciate uh, that. And I think all the ways that even led Nicole and I to be willing to come here was the ways in which we can talk about things going overseas globally, and we should. And I love you know that Nathan Allen and the perspectives and all that but what many churches sometimes lack is where in America what we struggle with is dealing with the things that we've done right here on our own soil the church has looked this way because the church can we participated with Satan in the sin of racism and segregation and we've not been able to make it right and we've just gotten comfortable being separate from one another mm. oh it's good come on yes so um let's get practical as, as Chad said, let's get, let's get tangible. What are some um, practical, tangible things our congregation can do to live out the words that Jesus talks about in, in John chapter 17? So I'll run this through me because I don't like telling people what they should do. And by the way, I don't want to limit the Holy Spirit's inspiration that could happen for all of you. But I'll say this. Um, I got to say some names and I'm, I might forget some. But I really appreciate Wes Doss, Josh McFadden, um, uh, Jonathan Nyland. Um, and so why I'm naming all those names is they've all been men who in different ways have either prayed for me, admonished me, or shown me a different perspective. But do you see, oh, y'all don't know the ethnicities, but these are all white men in different career fields, different fields of influence, and they've been able to come along and say, James, help me understand. And then there's parts where they share where they struggle. I share where I struggle. And we've helped kind of refine and, 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 and build this relationship, and they've given me a more fuller perspective. Ryan Reyna, Chad Imhoff, I could go on and on and on about these conversations. So what I'm going to say to you all is sometimes we've got to make sure that we get outside of our own echo chambers and silos and be willing to be challenged by the perspective of others. But here's the thing about each one of those men that I named. And there's women, Nellie Beal, there's Mick Cullinani. But all of those, but what I, why I entrusted myself and submitted myself to their, 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 their times challenge and love is because they have one goal. They're pursuing the kingdom of God, and that's all helped reshape and refine. So that's one thing I would say. Another one, he uh, has a slide, a book that I would recommend. Nellie's the one that introduced me to it. It's called Cross-Cultural Servanthood, Serving the World with like Christ-like Humility. I know it's a missions book, but I love the author's kind of framework. And what he, the framework that he shares in the book, Lee, is that, hey, we don't need to make everyone change to our own cultural perspective and understanding of God. And sometimes that can happen in America. You should talk like this. You should preach like this. You should worship like this. I remember Miguel, who is a member of our church and was been one of our yeah. um, the, the people we Miguel support. Miguel Gary. Yeah. Miguel, Miguel. And I love Miguel. He said, James, in America, y'all tend to preach this very linear type way. He says, where I come from, we preach and we want to make this beautiful flower. We have a main point, but we can bounce out and come back to the point. Then bounce out in the end, we want to offer you a flower. Miguel has reformed me in the way that I teach now because he brought to me a different cultural understanding than what I have been trained even in my seminary studies. So but anyway, I really think that that's a practical book that's helped me saying, wait, in the book he says, so 
Go out and share the kingdom of God, but don't try to impose your cultural system. Now, if there are things in that system that are not of God, then you talk about those. But if it is not dishonoring to God, leave it alone. Mm, don't try good. and turn them into a version of you. That's good. Yeah, I often think of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, basically, you want to reach people for Jesus? He says, here's how you do it. To a Jew, I become a Jew. To a Roman, I become a Roman. To a barbarian, I become a barbarian. I become all things to all people that I, I might preach Christ. And so there's adaptation. I want to say this too. We haven't really talked about this. I think sometimes, which is uh, a lie, sometimes people think that, that maybe James or other people of color might, might be angry and just want a pulpit to stand on and, and just kind of pound us and we listen in submission. It's give and take. We've gone back and forth, brother to brother, um, in groups, elders, discussions. I've said hard things. He's said hard things. Hey, that's the kingdom of God. That's, that's the church, right? I, I, man, I hate cancel culture for so many reasons, but the reason I hate it most is because it stops dialogue. It just stops dialogue. We just go, nope, I gotta think this way or be this or I'm afraid, so I'll be quiet. And of course, the devil loves that. The devil loves that. Can I say this? I yeah, want, go ahead. Because now I'm like, there's the counselor side of me coming out. That is a natural protective part of human beings. Anything that makes us afraid, we push away and yep. keep away. Yep. The problem is, is while that might serve to try and protect you, and many, I think, believers do it because they're trying to, in their sense, be faithful. And I respect that and I get that. But the problem is, is in your effort to self-protect yourself and be faithful, you also can miss the move of God. Mm. So I can't tell you what that all looks like, but I think we've got to learn to hold that tension. And, and make sure, like, because God can live in the tension. He deals with it. That's why I just brought up. Paul would lived in the tension. His whole ministry was the Jews hated him for what he was doing, and the Gentiles couldn't make sense of what this Jew is talking about, the Savior who died and was resurrected. Yeah. So he lived in the tension. Church, we can do the same because we've got the same Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Woo. Um, yeah, please. Last, last question um, for James. Uh, what has your journey looked like um, outside of New Heights when it comes to racial reconciliation? All right, you can pull up the other slide now. Um, so it's been great. I mean, I thank you. Like, uh, I feel like in times I, I tell people, like, I feel like I've been a missionary sent in ways because I am. I'm training around the world, uh, around the U.S., uh, COVID, you know, there are times I was kind of ghost, like I wasn't here. I was online in different parts of the, of the world uh, talking about this message. And uh, through the help and prayer and support of even Ryan Reyna, um, we've kind of, I've kind of, God's kind of, and Mick Colinani, he's somewhere fixing things around here, and Nellie Beal, um, we, there was kind of developed this ministry called Healing Conversations. And I love the tagline, A Better Dialogue. And Healing Conversations has been a way we've been able to go out and do business consultations. Uh, I'm, I just got, I mean, I'm going to Baton Rouge, I'm going to, but what companies are saying is, hey, what I'd say, the way I frame it to them, I'm not trying to argue this politically. The reason why we get stuck is because we can't have conversations. And that's what I will say, I love, another thing I love about New Heights. New Heights lives in the tension. We have people here from the Church of God in Christ, Presbyterian, probably Catholic, charismatic, from all socioeconomics. That's a tense situation, and not many churches can pull that off because you are always, I'll say this too, there's a difference between multi-ethnic and multicultural churches. Multi-ethnic could just be we ask people from other ethnicities to come here and do things the way we tell you to do it. Multicultural says God is moving in all people groups and we want his manifestation to be known and that will always require that all of us at some point will be uncomfortable. That's good. 
That's good. What, what are, um, yeah, we'll give him a big hand at the end. Um, I could give him a big hand every time he talks, right? I'm, I'm motivated all over. Again. And I want people like, you know, I do talk with energy, but it's Revelation 7, 9. If in the end God said that John looked, he says, I saw people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language before his throne. Why should my heart not beat for that? Yeah, we should want Why, that. why? We, we pray the prayer God said, let your will be done on earth as it is in. That's right. So why not be passionate about that? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Um, how can we pray for you in this ministry that God has called? And lots of things, but in this ministry that God has called you to. I'll be honest. I'm passionate, but I'm scared. Okay. And I mean that because, I mean, I, I mean, people don't like everything you have to say. And I get that that's not what my job is. But it's hard for me. I don't like people misinterpreting and putting things on me that I did not say. And I get it. You say things that are cold word of this group. So you must believe all this. Wait, well, one, in a debate, like, you must believe. Do you really want to know? Are you trying to tell me what I believe, right? And it just takes a lot because one, I'll say this too, Satan does not want in any way the image of God to be honored and manifest. So he will do everything and anything. And I hate that I have to say this. And sometimes it's not always outside the world that's the biggest problem. Because yeah. think about where did Jesus and the prophets die? Yeah. Who killed them? Yeah. The People church. from within the house. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just pray that I would continue to have courage, uh, wisdom, and just the time and space to keep taking healing conversations to wherever God opens the door. Amen. Amen. Do me a favor, stretch forth your hands right now. Pray silently as I pray out loud for our brother. I pray for um, wisdom, discernment. I pray for courage. I pray for boldness. I pray for gentleness. God, I love this man, and uh, I love that you brought he and his family to our body. We're better because of it. Um, I thank you for the dialogue we've had. I thank you for the hard conversations. I thank you for the, the easy conversations. I thank you, God, that you're not done with him yet. He's got a lot to do. And so I pray that you continue to pave a way to Louisiana, to other states, other businesses, to the world, not just in counseling, but in this dialogue, God, in this dialogue. Uh, give him, you tell us that you'll, you'll send us forth and then Holy Spirit, you'll give us the right words to say. Do that, I pray. Protect him physically, protect him emotionally, protect his marriage, protect his, his girls, raise them up to know you, to love you, to serve you. God, we pray a double blessing and anointing on our brother in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you, brother. Can I have the worship team come back up as well? Those of you who are on the prayer team, um, come, come up as well. And uh, let me state the obvious. Chad alluded to it, um, but this is not an easy Sunday. These aren't easy conversations. Um, I can't even imagine how many trigger words there were this morning, how many trigger stories there, there were this morning. And so um, we want to pray for you. You've heard me say this, um, we're not a typical altar call church. I kind of wish we were. I miss the altar. Anyone ever miss the altar call? I do. I do. Uh, I just won't get right. <laughs> and I want to pray for people. And, and we are in the sense that we have our ministry time. Um, and we encourage you there in your seat to make that your altar call. But if for some reason, whether it's over these issues, um, or it's anything else, don't miss this opportunity. What a, what a joy and extreme um, honor and pleasure it is to be able to come forth every week and not just take communion, but to pray for someone or be prayed for. 
So I want to encourage you right now, those who are sitting out there, maybe you're angry, and the devil's just whispering to you right now, just whispering. Man, that anger will not turn out well for you. It will destroy you. And remember, the Bible says the devil doesn't come as a levitating, head-turning, vomiting demon, right? The devil comes as what? An angel of light. So he's using all sorts of language right now to get you angry, to get you confused, to not talk, to not converse, to not pray. So I'm gonna ask, come up. Be prayed for. Pray for others. When you break out in groups, when you take communion together, you may want to talk to myself or Chad or James or anyone else on staff. You may find an elder. You may want to continue this conversation. Um, if you know me at all, and people who know me, 15 years now I've been here, you'll be in my home, you'll be in my office, I'll take you to coffee, you can take me to lunch. So we will, we will talk. I will not shy away or say no to anybody, ever. So that's on you. And Jim is the same way. Our staff is, this, Chad is the same way. James is the same way. Uh, you don't have to go to mermaids. That's high dollar, but James is worth mermaids. He definitely was. <laughs> Let me do this. Let me just pray. Let me pray. And even as I'm praying, come on up. You, that, there's no disrespect. Come on up and get prayed for. Grab a communion cup. Let's, let's get about the kingdom of God. Let's start it right now. Father, darkness trembles before you and shadows cannot deny your light. Why? Because you are the light. You open eyes that are blind and, and you bring us out from prisons of unbelief. Those who sit in darkness, you take bolt cutters and you, you cut the chains of darkness off of them. Remind us always, Father, that we're made in your image and that a, a, a person's a person, no matter how small they are or what the color of their skin is. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins and the sins of our forefathers that have erected walls between brothers and sisters of other races. Forgive us for setting ourselves apart by differences that don't matter to you. Lord Jesus, shatter these walls with your reconciling power. Shatter them with your word that is sharper than a two-edged sword. Break us out. Break us out of our separateness until we turn from our fear and hostility to Christ's exalting love, support, and brother and sisterhood. We ask that no effort in your name to advance the cause for life and justice inside and outside the womb would be in vain. Spare us, Lord, from living fruitless or wasted lives while thousands die before their first breath and thousands more live only to die forever. Help us by your spirit to spend our lives in all that we have for the spread of the gospel. The influence of truth and the glory of your name. Open our ears now to your word, for thy word is truth. Strengthen our souls and keep them well until that day when your kingdom comes in all of its fullness. That day when the clouds are rolled back like a scroll and the trump resounds and you descend to claim all your people for yourself from every tribe and every tongue and every race, wiping every tear from every eye. That day when racism and abortion and death shall be no more and mourning and crying and alienation and indifference and pain will be gone forever. All praise to you for making all things new. To you be the glory both now and forever.
Amen.